AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Hey, Daniel, I have a question for you that you might not like. Uh-oh, what is it? It's about aliens, your favorite topic. Ooh, I love it already. What is it? Okay, so if we can't send messages faster than light, right? Mm -hmm. All the other planets are light years away. Wouldn't any communication or messages exchanged with aliens take years or decades? Ah, oh, you're right. I don't like that question. Jorge, I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and the co-author of our book, We Have No Idea, a guide to the unknown universe that tells you all the things we don't know about the universe. Yep, it's a great book, which also functions as a nice quantum banana stand. Or an anything stand, really, once you're done reading it. It's multi-purpose. You could buy thousands of copies and build a house out of them. But welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. In which we try to find amazing and crazy and fascinating things about our universe and explain them to you. We want to take you to the cutting edge of science and break it down so that you have a working understanding of it. Science is not something meant just for a few people in an ivory tower. Science is by the people, of the people, and for the people. That's right. It's a constitutional right to know your science <laughs> and to have physicists explain it to you. That's right. It doesn't make it democratic, but it should be accessible. <laughs> Do you think is physics uh, governed by democratic principles, Daniel? It'd be awesome if we could change the laws of the universe by voting on it. Like, hey, who wants to have faster than light travel? Ooh, ooh, me. And we all vote on it. And then it's possible. That would be pretty awesome. And the universe has to follow the rules. Hey, if it's a democracy, right, then we could like amend the laws of physics, right? Well, if, if our government is any indication, I think we'd, we'd all be in deep <laughs> trouble. <laughs> I think Mitch McConnell would stand in the way of any, uh, any um, revolution we want in the laws of physics. Yeah, I think we'd probably splinter into different universes. 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> We'd have people arguing for these set of laws and other people saying, no, we want this to be possible. Maybe we should not wish to have that kind of power. Yeah, yeah. Let's stick to the undemocratic universe in which we actually <laughs> live in. The dictatorial um, quantum universe. That's right. So yeah, so today uh, on the program, we'll be talking about a problem that a lot of people see if we ever do find other life in the universe. Right. Yeah, there are certain things about the laws of physics which are fascinating, but also frustrating that put limits on us. And, you know, if we did find aliens, even on one of the nearby stars that are light years and light years away, it would be difficult to have a conversation with them because light or anything else takes years to get there and years to get back. Yeah, it would be a really awkward conversation, right? You'd be like, hey, how's it going? And then you'd have to wait <laughs> 20 years or more, maybe. To get an answer that says, pretty good, you. <laughs> yeah, they'd have like a revolution since then or have evolved into something else or whatever. How do you have a conversation? Yeah, you might not even be alive, right? Like if we talked, if we were trying to talk to another civilization that's a hundred light years away, it would take 200 years to get a response. Just to get a response. And then imagine what that conversation would be like. You know, the first statements of that conversation would be like, huh? What? Were you? Wait, can you hear me? Oh, what? Is this thing on? You know, that's a thousand years right there. Yeah, just to decode our language too, right? Like it would, <laughs> it would be kind of awkward. It'd be like talking to my nine-year-old, right? Like, hey, can you pick up your shoes? <laughs> hey, can you pick up your shoes? 20 years exactly. later, he'd be like, what? It'd be like having any video conferencing meeting. You know, the first 10 minutes of every video conferencing meeting between oh humans God. who speak the same language, <laughs> use the same technology, is still, I can't hear you. What? What was that? No, this is not working. It'd be so, like the ultimate nightmare conference call, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really would. We, we would waste 200 years just to say, you're on speakerphone. <laughs> or you're muted. Or sorry, I thought I was muted. Or hey, you're in the bathroom and you're not muted, right? Oh, man. Although, actually, I would like to hear what it does sound like when an alien goes to the bathroom. Oh, really? That would be your opening question? <laughs> no, but if that, if that audio was just <laughs> delivered to me somehow, yeah, I would like to hear that. That would be fascinating. What if that's the only thing we ever learned about aliens is that they accidentally they, butt-dialed uh, us when they were in the bathroom and we got to hear it? <laughs> You're assuming they have a butt or they might only they have, might have multiple butts. You don't know that. Yeah, so many questions could be answered yeah. by that accidental phone call. Yeah, you might get like two two separate calls on your phone, one from each butt. <laughs> hey, your left butt and your right butt are both calling me. I got to go back <laughs> which, and forth. Which one Maybe do they I have pick? A, <laughs> <laughs> they must have a whole different call waiting system depending on the number of butts they have. But, you know, this is a, a fun topic to explore. But I read a lot of science fiction. And in science fiction, they often have this same problem. Like, let's say it's a million years in the future and humans have colonized the galaxy and they have a galaxy-spanning empire. How do you even govern an empire if it takes a thousand years to send a message from one side of it to the other. Right. Like if you think about it, one fact that always blows my mind is that the United States is, is only like 250 years old or less. So imagine yeah. having a conversation in between the Declaration of Independence and now. <laughs> it's a whole different country. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a whole different country. Yeah. And I think there's also something interesting there. I think something about the size of nations was determined basically um, by the speed of information transit at the time that, you know, nation states came to be. And the reason right. we don't have globe spanning empires might also be because we didn't have instantaneous communication until fairly recently. 
Oh, I see. Like your furthest calling, you could be like, hey, I am, um, peace out, I'm leaving. And by the time yeah. you get the message and say, no way, dude, they're gone. Tighter coordination between the UK and the American colonies might have prevented the American Revolution, right? And you, right. Um, England could still be a globe-spanning empire. Anyway, that's um, ridiculous speculation on a topic I have no expertise in. But <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a different topic. That's uh, Daniel and Jorge confuse history. Another production of iHeartRadio. That's right. But I think this is a really interesting one. And in those books and science fiction novels, they often try to avoid this problem mm. by inventing some way for these people to communicate faster than light. They have some clever way, some telephone that communicates instantly from galaxy to galaxy or even inside the galaxy so that they can talk to their subjects and their political connections in a reasonable time. Right. So that each page of the science fiction story doesn't go 200 years later. <laughs> or there's like 300 blank pages until Bob's, the next thing. Bob's great grandnephew <laughs> answered the phone. It says, what? Who's, who's this? New phone. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be a fun thing to get in the the will from your grandpa? Like, hey, I put a call in to some aliens. If you they call back, uh, this is what I wanted to know. <laughs> Here's the conversation tree I started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a big problem with a, a con- the idea of a connected universe. I think, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you can imagine a galactic empire, or you know, just getting to know our neighbors, it would be a problem. It would be a problem. And in a lot of these science fiction novels, they try to solve this problem by sort of painting over it with a magic phrase. They Mm. say, well, you know, maybe scientists in the future have figured out a way to use, here I'm doing air quotes, quantum entanglement. And that just sort of solves the problem. That's a popular solution in science fiction to this problem. Yes, exactly. Quantum entanglement. Quantum entanglement just sort of solves the problem of faster than light communication. Mm. All right. So then today we're going to answer the question... Can we use quantum entanglement to send messages faster than light? Because I would love to talk to the aliens more rapidly. I would love to download their physics library and not have it take a billion years. And so I want this to be true. I want us to be able to send messages faster than light using quantum entanglement or anything. Well, I think like any any phrase in science fiction, just put the word quantum in it and it sounds both magical and plausible. <laughs> Do you think that's going to be true forever? Like, won't that trope get tired? Won't people be like, yawn, quantum, the new thing is, I don't know, what is the new thing? Dark matter, dark <laughs> quantumness. Dark matter, oh my gosh, you're right. And there is even that novel, have you read that novel called Dark Matter by Blake Crouch? No, I haven't. Very popular, I think it was a bestseller. It's actually about quantum mechanics, but the title of it is Dark Matter, which is very confusing. It has nothing to do with dark matter, except I think that dark matter is a sexy buzzword in physics that they were, they're mm. him or his agent or his publishing house were trying to latch onto. Well, there you go. That should be the, the title of our next book, Dark Quantum. <laughs> dark Quantum, yeah, exactly. Maybe we can use dark matter for faster than light communication. <laughs> Quantum after hours. hours. <laughs> Cinemax dark matter. Jeez. <laughs> oh, well, anyways, um, yeah, the idea is like in science fiction, can we actually use quantum, this idea of quantum entanglement to send messages faster than light? And so as usual, we were wondering if anyone had even heard of quantum entanglement or how to pronounce it or uh, whether it could, it could even be used to send messages faster than light. 
So as usual, I walked around the campus of UC Irvine and I was grateful as always that they were willing to answer a random question about a random topic. And uh, so before you hear these answers, think to yourself, do you think quantum entanglement can be used to send messages across the universe faster than the speed of light? Here's what people had to say. I don't know enough to answer that question. I don't know. No, I have not. I don't know, but I hope we can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, sorry. No, I'm no. not. I do know what that is. You do? Yes. Do you think it can be used to send messages faster than the speed of light? That is correct. You think it can? 100%. So what do you think of those answers, Jorge? All right. Well, I think they're probably pretty uh, common answers. Uh, I don't think up until uh, a couple of years ago, I would have known what quantum entanglement was. Yeah, a lot of people had never heard of it. Um, though one guy was like, oh, yeah, 100%. That's totally possible. <laughs> I was like, I want to invest in this guy's company. This guy knows yeah, something. Wow. What, <laughs> what does he know that we don't know? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't spend the time to dig into it with him. Was he an alien, possibly? <laughs> Probably. Oh, my gosh. I met an alien. I didn't even realize it. I have to rewind back in time, remember what that person looked like. <laughs> if you can rewind back in time, Daniel, that's... Uh... What do you know that I don't know? <laughs> I just use my quantum entangled particles, right? That solves oh, every science fiction problem. Dark quantum phone. <laughs> Dark FaceTime quantum feature. foam. Perfect. I think that is the perfect blend yeah. of, of buzzwords right there. That solves any problem. There you go. I'm going to suggest that to my students next time they have a research problem. Have you tried dark quantum foam? Many people haven't even heard of quantum entanglement, much less the idea of using it to talk over long distances. It's a topic that's actually decades old, but I think only recently has it entered any sort of the edges of the cultural zeitgeist. Well, I think I remember a couple of a, a year or two ago, there was a big news item saying that um, scientists had finally teleported something and they used quantum entanglement to do it. Yeah, there was some very misleading science headlines about how scientists what? had teleported something into space. But uh, yeah, they hadn't actually... Misleading headlines? What? <laughs> misleading science headlines, yeah. No, that was... That wanted you to click on it? That's weird. <laughs> yeah, they had used quantum entanglement. And we did a whole episode actually about teleportation, whether it's possible. And there is one aspect of teleportation which is possible, which is teleporting a quantum state that is saying, here we have some particles in a quantum arrangement over here. Can we make other particles, not the same particles, other particles have the same state over there? It's sort of like, uh, you know, um, copying something. It's like emailing something to somebody else, but doing, but emailing a quantum state. And to do that, you, need to, you do need to have quantum entanglement. Yes, quantum faxing. Wow. <laughs> that is not a phrase anybody has ever said out loud before, I think. <laughs> All right. Can I lay my stake on it? Yes. Yeah, they didn't actually move anything to space. People think when they hear teleportation that you've disappeared some matter somewhere and reappeared it somewhere else. That's the common understanding of teleportation, which is why the headlines for that article were so misleading. Um, but they did use quantum entanglement in that experiment. Quantum entanglement is a real thing. It can be used to do some interesting science, right? It can be used to quantum facts things, for example, which is fascinating and useful, but not faster than the speed of light in that case. But yeah, I think I think that would be a more a better name for it, quantum faxing, because it's not really teleporting. It's more like faxing. Right? Yes, exactly. That is quantum faxing. And it's, it's is it sort of related to this idea of using it to communicate faster than light? Or is that totally different than quantum teleportation? No, it's different. I mean, the, the idea of quantum entanglement is to have two things that are far apart, but they have some connection to each other. And can you use that to send some information? And you can use it to send some information, but the question is, can you use it to send information faster than the speed of light? 
But maybe before we dig into that, we should talk about what quantum entanglement is so everybody has a clear sense for what that means. Yeah, let's talk about quantum entanglement. Um, so what, what is quantum entanglement? I feel like I know the word quantum sort of, which means magic, and <laughs> entanglement <laughs> means that two things are kind of like intertwined or um you know, kind of like one of them depends on the other. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Entanglement means that there's sort of a constraint on the pair. So I think it's simplest if you think about just two particles. Now, it can apply to other things than just particles. It can apply to quantum fields or quantum systems. But just to have a visual thing to hang our, our mental hats on, let's talk about, for example, two electrons. And electrons, we know, have these weird mm. quantum states, like they can be spin up or they can be spin down. And for an individual electron, before you've looked at it, it could be either spin up or down and sort of like Schrodinger's cat in the box until you ask the electron, are you spin up or down? It's sort of both. It's not determined. It's 50-50, one or the other. Until you like poke it, right? Until you ask the electron whether it's spinning up or down. Right. And we did a whole episode on quantum spin, how you can measure an electron spin. You pass it through a magnet and either goes left or goes right. And that's how you're measuring it. You require it to make a decision about whether it's up or down so that it can interact with an experiment you've built in a certain way. And that's useful for thinking about an individual electron. But quantum entanglement is about pairs of electrons because sometimes you can arrange these electrons in a special way so that they're not independent. They have a constraint on them. Like they have their spins have to be opposite, for example. If one is up, the other one has to be down. Like you put a rule that... Um says that they, they're not totally independent. Yeah. Like if you throw two dice, they can be whatever they want to be each one. But if you put a constraint in, on them saying they both have to add up to seven, then that, that's a constraint between two things. Exactly. Because quantum mechanics has a lot of weirdness and a lot of fuzziness, but there are some rules even quantum mechanics can't break, like conservation of momentum. And spin is a kind of momentum. And so if these electrons, for example, came from another particle, say a photon, generated an electron and a positron. That's, that photon has an overall spin zero, for example. Then the electron, if one of them is spin up, the other one has to be spin down in order to conserve overall momentum. Their spins have to add up to zero, which is the same original amount of spin that the photon had. So that's how you would do it physically. Mm. That's how you apply a constraint to two electrons to say, you can't both be up and you can't both be down. If one of you is up, the other one has to be down. So you maintain your compliance with this other law of physics. Right. And you can set that rule to whatever you want to be. Like you could also say they both have to be up or they both have to be down or they can't both be the same thing. It's just kind of like, like a, a rule, right? Yeah. If your photon has spin one in a certain direction, then you know that both electrons have to be spin up. And if it has spin um, minus one, which is the same as spin one in the other direction, then yeah, the same thing applies. But it's most interesting when this constraint adds up to zero because then each electron can be up or down. And it's the the combination of the two that has the constraint, not the individual one. So each one is free to be up or down, but if as soon as you know that one is up, the other one has to be down. Okay, so that's the basic idea of entanglement. It's like two particles that have some kind of, they're both quantum, so they're both weird and fuzzy, but there's some sort of constraint between them, some sort of rule that says that, that, that when you open those two electrons, they need to follow certain rules. That's right. And the magic there is what happens if you open just one electron. So you electron A and electron B. Say you open the box for electron A, you interact with it, you measure its spin, it's spin up. Now you know something about electron B, right? You've measured something about electron A and learned something about electron B. That constraint allows you to extrapolate your knowledge about the first electron onto the second one. That's the magic because the two have this constraint. And that happens 
sort of instantaneously, as soon as you measure it on one, you know something about the other one. Even if in the meantime, you've taken that other electron and moved it a light year away. So that's where the communication part comes in, right? That's where the sort of magic, fast than light tempting thing comes in. You take these two electrons, right. they're quantum entangled. You move them really far apart without breaking the entanglement somehow. And then when you measure something about one electron, you learn something about something really, really far away. And you've learned something faster than light can travel. All right. Well, let's get into the details here a little bit more and how it, this was actually one of Einstein's ideas, right? It was. It was sort of Einstein's big backfire. So let's get into it. But first, let's take a quick break. Physicists are famously sticklers for detail. And when it comes to the fine print contracts and hidden fees from wireless providers, I've learned that there's always a catch somewhere. So when I heard that the Mint Mobile wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, where's the catch? But now I'm convinced... There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online, so they cut out the cost of retail stores and they pass all those savings directly to you. So you can say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, draw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. All of Mint Mobile's plans come with unlimited talk and text and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. All right, we're talking about quantum entanglement and how we could use that to talk to aliens, right? <laughs> Faster than light. That's right. We're hoping they're aliens and we're hoping we could develop this technology based on quantum entanglement to send the messages that aren't accidental toilet butt dials. Right, using my quantum facts, <laughs> which I just invented 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Uh, okay, so l let me see if I got this straight. The idea behind quantum entanglement is that you take two electrons or two particles that are quantum, and you, you, you mix them up so that there's some kind of rule between them. Mm -hmm. So that then if you separate them and you open one of them, you know something about the other, even if it's really far away. Precisely. You've learned something about something far away faster than light could get there, right? You, if, you, if you want to know what is the state of electron B, rather than going there and measuring it coming back, you can do it 
instantaneously by measuring electron A, and that tells you something about what's happening far away. And normally in this universe, mm. to learn something about an object that's really far away takes time. If you want to know what's happening in a right. star a light year away, you need to wait a year for that light to get here. So this seems like a tempting right. way to learn things to, about things that are far away and maybe even to send information. That's sort of the idea. Let's paint the picture a little bit maybe. like So I take two electrons and let's say I make the rule that when I make the electrons, I make the rule that they both have to be the same spin. Like that's a possible rule, right? Uh, that is a possible rule, yes. If your photon has spin one, then the electrons which have spin half each could be both having a point in the same direction to make that original spin one, yes. So I kind of, I entangle these two electrons and then I send one of them to another star. Proxima Centauri. Yeah, and I, I wait a while for it to get there. It gets there. And now I open my electron, the one I kept, and I see that it's pointing up. You're saying instantaneously, without having to wait to check on the other electron, I know that the other electron out there is also pointing up. Precisely. You now officially understand quantum entanglement. This is the day forever, <laughs> after which you are an expert in quantum entanglement. Congratulations. Right. But I guess what I don't know is how, how you can use that for communication. I mean, I feel like I just sent you a package that I kind of already knew what was in it. And before you open it, I know what's already in it, but I'm the one who sent it. So I'm not sure how that helps us communicate. That is the rub, right? That's exactly the issue. And But you don't exactly know what's in it. I think in the case where the photon has spin zero and so the electrons have to be opposite, you don't know until you open it which electron do you have. Do you have the one that's spin up or do you have the one that's spin down? And so you have learned something about something that's really far away. Before you measure your close by electron, it could be up or down. And the far away electron could also be up or down. It's not determined yet. There's still some randomness. But when you measure the spin of the close by electron, then you instantly know the spin of the far away electron instantly. The other way to get that information is to let the people who have the far away electron measure its spin and then tell you. But that would take time for them to send you that information. So this is like a way to instantly know information that is far away. Now, that's not the same as communication, which requires controlling information. And this is the part mm -hmm. that science fiction novels never get into. How do you use quantum entanglement to send information faster than light? They just sort of dot, dot, dot from quantum entanglement to instantaneous communication. They never get into it. Nobody actually knows. Nobody has worked it out. Nobody has worked it out. I mean, people have thought about it. And, oh, you know, this thought experiment came from Einstein because, as you said before, Einstein was trying to show that quantum mechanics was ridiculous. Einstein was trying to prove that this new field of quantum mechanics makes no sense. So he actually came up with this thought experiment like, could you do this in the scenario you're proposing in the quantum mechanics universe? If that was real, then you could do this absurd thing like knowing something about something really far away. And so he proposed this in a paper and he said, look at this absurd outcome of your predictions of quantum mechanics. Clearly, you must reject this whole idea. <laughs> instead, people were like, oh, I could write a science fiction story about that. No, instead, people were like, that's a cool experiment. Let's go do it. And they did it. And it turns out that the quantum mechanics predictions, absurd as they were, were correct. That that's exactly what happens. What, what did they prove? That if you take two electrons, entangle them, and then separate them, they're still entangled. Is that the experiment? They're still entangled. And that if you measure the first one, the second one instantly collapses to being the opposite of the first one. It collapses to, to you, to, to me, but not to the person who's holding it out there. Yeah, if you measure electron A, 
right? Then electron B, which can be really far away, it can be faster, it can be far away than light can travel in the time they can they measure it, then they measure that electron B also collapses at the same moment that electron A collapses. That if they ask electron A, are you spin up or spin down, then electron B goes from being 50% spin up to 50, and 50% spin down to being either one or the other, being the opposite of electron A. So they've shown that this happens, that making a measurement in one location changes the physics of the universe somewhere far away. And it changes that the physics of the universe faster than you could send information uh, via light. It's not like something is happening in electron A and it secretly sends a message to electron B, quick, I'm up, so you have to be down. They've separated these particles far enough away, like kilometers now, kilometers and kilometers, so there's no way for light to sneak that information. But what do you mean it collapses in the other end? Like, But they haven't opened it. You're saying inside the box it's in it's technically collapsed? Or are you saying that when they, whenever they open that other box out there, they're going to find that it's the, uh, it follows the rule? They do open the box and it follows the rule, yeah. Like let's say uh, I, put two, uh, I take two electrons, entangle them. Let's say I make the rule that they both have to be spinning the same direction. I think it's clearest when they have to be spinning uh, the opposite directions. Okay, so uh, let's say I make the rule that they have to be spinning the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Okay, I entangle them. I keep one in my box, and I send the other one to you in Alpha Centauri in a in a box. Wait, I'm an Alpha and, Centauri. And I have to go to Alpha yeah. Centauri in a tiny little space. <laughs> yeah, no, I, mean, I get to go to Alpha Centauri. Okay, well, awesome. I, I thought you already were there, but um, <laughs> all right, I'm an Alpha Centauri with the other box. Okay, yeah, I sent you my uh, the the B electron. I kept the A electron. I sent you the B electron, and they're both entangled. And now you're saying. If I open my A electron and I see that it's pointing up, I, I know that B is pointing down, but you don't know that B is pointing down, do you? That's right. But I measure it and it points down. Right. When you measure it, but up to the point that you measure it, you don't know if it's pointing up and down. That's right. But how, does, how do they talk to each other? How do they know that one can point up and the other one can point down? They're separated. Right? Say we make our measurements at the same moment or within a millisecond of each other. Okay, we are separated by a light year. There's no time for, for electron A to tell electron B what decision it has made. Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying that my electron, my A electron, the one I kept, could, could be either one. It could be either one, yes. If I do this experiment a lot, sometimes it'll be up, sometimes it'll be down. Yes. But the ones that it's up, then yours will be down. And the ones that it's down, yours will be up. Precisely. And before you measure any of the particles, both could be up or down. They have a 50% chance of being up and a 50% chance of being down. When you measure electron A to be up, then electron B, a light year away, has to instantly change from having even odds of being up or down to just being down. It has to because electron A was up. But how does it know that electron A was up? There's no way for that information to get to electron B in time. Electron A could have been down, forcing B to up. Electron A's spin could have been down, forcing B to be spin up. Remember that both of them are undetermined until you measure one of them, and then suddenly both are determined. This is like you take two prisoners and you isolate them so they don't get to talk about their story, and you ask one, you know, uh, who robbed the bank, and you ask the other one who robbed the bank, and their stories always agree, right? <laughs> even though they could have lied, either of them, either of them could have lied. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Either one could have lied. They either both lie or they both not 
uh, tell the truth, but somehow they're in sync. And it's physically impossible for them to communicate because they are too far apart. When they first did these experiments, the, they tried to isolate the things, and, but they weren't actually really that far apart. It's hard to get two quantum entangled particles actually far apart. But now they've done it. They've quantum entangled particles between the surface of the Earth and things on satellites, for example. That's what that article was about we were talking about earlier. They quantum entangled physics on the Earth and physics in a satellite. Okay, so that's the spooky thing. It's like somehow the two prisoners have their stories in sync. You know, the two White House officials are somehow saying the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> about the text messages, uh, but they never talked to each other and they couldn't possibly have coordinated. They couldn't, it's physically impossible for them to coordinate. Yet somehow when electron A collapses to up, electron B collapses to down or the other way around. How do I know they didn't coordinate before I separated them? Yes, that is one of the deepest questions about particle physics and quantum mechanics is that, is there a hidden variable? Maybe A wasn't actually both up and down. Maybe there's some hidden variable there, something that determines it forces A to be up. And so of course B is down. It's no surprise, you know, that you have half of the cake, the other one is the other half of the cake because it's been those halves the entire time uh, when while they were traveling right. to be f farther away. That's a really yeah, good like question. Yeah, like they decided like, hey, I'll be down. Okay, that means you have to be up. And then they separated. Mm -hmm. You were saying that's not that's not what's happening. We know that's not what's happening. The explanation for that, and I know people out there who are desperately curious about quantum mechanics and skeptical of this, want to know precisely the answer to that question. Because when I was learning quantum mechanics, that's the thing I was wondering about. How do you know there isn't some like hidden variable, something we just haven't measured, some property of the electron, which determines or forces one to be up and the other one to be down? Now, the answer is a bit frustrating. The answer is not a smoking gun. It's a much more subtle experiment. It's called, and it's um, invented by a guy named Bell. And it's about measuring the correlation between A and B. You can't prove that there's no hidden variable for one experiment. But if you do this over and over again, and you sort of rotate the spin of the electrons, you can prove that there is no local hidden variable. It's really one of the most beautiful and subtle pieces of physics I've ever learned. So to show that there's no way for the two electrons to have been determined in advance, which one would be up and which one would be down, that's what we technically call the no local hidden variable. What Bell did was use a second weird aspect of quantum mechanics to help pin down this first weird aspect. On the episode about spin, remember we talked about how you can't know the spin in two directions at the same time. It's just like how you can't know a particle's momentum and position at the same time because of the uncertainty principle. In the same way, measuring the spin in one direction like X will re-randomize the spin in the other directions like Y. So Bell used this to his advantage to show that the spin really is randomized before it's measured. His experiment says you should separate the particles, but then measure the spin in other directions, not the one that you have this quantum mechanical entanglement constraint on. And he showed that if there is a local hidden variable, it will affect not just the constraint direction, but also the spins you measure in other directions. If there isn't a local hidden variable, if the electrons really are undetermined until you measure them, then you will not affect the randomness in the other directions. So he was able to come up with an experiment that gives different predictions if there's randomness and if there's local hidden variables. And then they did the experiment and boom, it showed that there really is randomness. But we should dig into it further on a whole separate podcast episode because it's really fascinating. They have proven that there is no local bit of information that could be hiding inside those boxes to determine that one electron actually is up and the other one actually is down. We know that, the, that there really is uncertainty there, that the electron could really be up or down 
when you've entangled them and when you've separated them, and that that collapses the moment you measure one of them, even if they're really far apart. Yeah, it's kind of like if you do the experiment a bunch of times and you, you, you sort of know for sure that the two prisoners couldn't have possibly gotten their story straight ahead of time. There's something weird going on. There is something weird going on. Even just doing it a lot of times doesn't satisfactorily resolve that question because there could be a hidden variable in each case. And so doing it many, many times just reinforces that. It has to do with having, with measuring these spins along different axes and then rotating that axis. And you can show that as a function of that rotation, things would act differently if there is a hidden variable than if there isn't a hidden variable. But again, it's a bit too subtle to get into, I think, on today's podcast. It, it, it involves spinning prisoners, which we can't get into. <laughs> that's right. We tried to file for a research allowance to do that, and they said no. That's uh, that's not that's inhumane, violates human rights. It's inhumane, right. exactly. Yeah. And then I tried to say, right. we, but it's for black matter quantum foam telephone that's faxes, right. and, and we're then, doing it in a Stanford basement. It's all right. No, they said, they said. no, it wasn't approved. All right. So, uh, so that's where this idea that you could use this for faster than light communication is that there's something, something's going on faster than light, and so could we use that? to communicate faster than light, right? That's where the idea came from. Yes, something here is happening faster than light. And so people thought, ooh, maybe we could communicate faster than light. That's the, the genesis of the idea. All right, let's get into whether it is possible to use this for faster than light communication. But first, let's take a quick break. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, so we talked about quantum entanglement and how there is something going on with it that's faster than light. But the question is, can we use that to talk to aliens faster than light or to, you know, 
Daniel, who's in Alpha Centauri, faster than light. And so what's the answer here, Daniel? How, how could we use could we use quantum entanglement to f- violate the fundamental speed limit of the universe? <laughs> well, first, I want to say that I think this is a totally good idea to investigate because there's often loopholes. You know, we talked about on the warp drive episode, like, yeah, you can't travel faster than light through space, but just change your definition of what you want to do. And don't say, I want to go through space. Say you want to squeeze space so you can get somewhere faster than light would have gotten. So it's a great sort of avenue for exploration to look for loopholes and try to find ways to accomplish what you want to do without breaking the laws of physics. But in this case, it's not going to work. And the the reason is to go back to what you were saying before, like say you have these two electrons, let's try to dot the lines and say, say you have these two electrons, quantum entangled between here and Alpha Centauri. How would you actually use that to send information? Why would you build a communication system? Say you want to send me a, a bit, right? You want to send me a zero or a one. You know, you want to tell me whether or not the apple pie is ready to eat. One is apple pie is ready. Zero is, oops, I burned the apple pie or something. You want to send me right. some I want to give you. I want to give you a thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. How would you do that? Well, right. in order to do One that, lamp if the British are coming, two lamps if they're <laughs> coming by, by, by <laughs> spaceship. <laughs> in order to do that, you have to sort of control the information. You, you might be tempted to say, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to force my electron to be spin up in one case, and I'm going to force it to be spin down in the other case, because that determines what happens to Daniel's electron. And so oh, we can sort of like twiddle Daniel's electron from really far away by twiddling mine. That's the tempting way to, to go. Right. Entangled, entanglement connects the two electrons. And you're saying like, if I see the British coming by sea, I'll turn my electron down, which makes your electron turn up. And somehow I talk to you faster than light. That's the idea, but that doesn't work, right? That fundamentally doesn't work. And the reason is pretty simple, is that you can ask the electron what state is it, but you can't force it to be in a particular state because if you do, it breaks the entanglement, right? The, mm. the rules of the entanglement are that the two have to be in opposite states because you're preserving the angular momentum of the system that created them. There's this law of physics that requires them to still tally up in the end to have the same angular momentum as the original system. But if you interact with one of them, then you break that because you're adding momentum or adding angular momentum to the system. You've broken that quantum system. You made a new quantum system. And that doesn't have to follow the same rules as the original. Oh, I see. So there's communication going on, but there's no, it's it's like there's communication going on, but there's no talking going on. The two electrons somehow are coordinating, right? There's definitely collusion happening there, but you can't force one electron to be in a certain state, which is what you would need to do to send information from one to the other. No, no, Daniel, no collusion. It's witch hunt. <laughs> no, elect- these electrons really do collude. It's quantum collusion. See, look, I invented a <laughs> phrase also. <laughs> All right. Quantum collusion. Good luck yeah. with that one. Yeah, you both did it and are somehow not guilty of it at the same time. Anyway. <laughs> No, the um, that's the frustrating is the problem is that you, this quantum entanglement thing real, is real and it really does happen. And there is something weird and fashion like happening, but we can't use it to send information because you touch right. one of them, you basically break the magic. Right. It's like we can both learn what each other has faster than light, but I can't tell you about what I can't tell you anything. We just both learn faster than light. Precisely. We, we learn, we, we learn about each other but what we have, but we can tell each other something. Yeah, you're like, okay, I did, sent Daniel to Alpha Centauri. He spent five years of his life getting there, and now I know which electron he has. 
okay, what does that do for us? Nothing. Yeah. It's like I open my I open my electron, it's like, oh, it's pointing up. That means Daniel's is pointing down. Yeah. And that that doesn't help us at all, talk. <laughs> that doesn't help us at all. And so I spent 10 <laughs> years of my life on an experiment we already knew was doomed. That's what we've learned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we just spent 40 minutes on a podcast that's also doomed. Yeah. And so, you know, there are fascinating ideas there. There's amazing quantum magic seeming stuff happening. It seems like maybe quantum mechanics could evade relativity somehow. But in the end, relativity is hard and fast. There's no way to send information through space faster than light. I mean, if you did, you could break causality. And we're going to have a whole podcast episode about what it means to have things happening simultaneously and causality and all that fun stuff, uh, maybe next week or so. But the short version is that relativity is a law we're pretty sure cannot be broken. It can be evaded. Mm. You can squeeze space instead of moving through it, but you cannot break it. So the only way right. I think to get messages to Alpha Centauri faster than light would get there would basically be to warp there and warp back. Oh, well, there you go. Can I make a, a wormhole telephone? Like, open a wormhole to you that somehow I can, you know, transmit information through it? That is totally theoretically allowed, yes. So you, that doesn't require quantum entanglement. It requires negative mass particles, which we're not sure actually exist in this universe. But theoretically, uh -huh. there's nothing that prevents you from opening a wormhole. It might also require as much energy as is stored in the planet Jupiter. But hey, that's an engineering problem, hey. not a physics problem. <laughs> that's a small price to pay to to tell you if the pie is burnt or not. <laughs> you could just send me a new pie for that price. <laughs> <laughs> I could just eat the pie and forget about you. I'm never going to see you again, Daniel. Daniel won't be back for years. He's stuck on Alpha Centauri on some yeah. wild quantum goose chase. He's not going to eat this pie. <laughs> <laughs> this pie will be rotten and moldy by the time he... That's right. Unless, of course, it's a quantum pie. There we go. We're inventing phrases oh, all over the place. All right. Well, it sounds like the answer to the question is nah, not really. You can't use quantum entanglement to talk to aliens faster than light. All those science fiction novels, they're just uh, fiction. They are just fiction after all. And I want to give props to science fiction authors for trying, for actually thinking, how could you do this? And for getting a little bit into the science, not just sort of brushing over like, I don't know, we just have some sort of ansible that lets us talk magically across the universe. I like that they dug into it a little bit. And, uh, you know, yeah. so kudos to them. And science fiction right. often leads the way in research and creates things which then scientists actually build. So we certainly don't mean right. to criticize science fiction authors. But in this case, yeah. that idea, as far as I understand, will not work. Which is a bummer. But hey, you know, if you're writing a science fiction novel right now and this episode frustrated you, just remember that scientists have not technically disproven quantum faxing. Which is not a yet. new field, <laughs> yeah, not yet. Which you can uh, use for your science fiction novel. So there you go. Send me the royalties. <laughs> That's right. And if you are writing a science fiction novel and struggling a little bit with the science of it, hey, send me an email. I am happy to give you consultation on how to devise your science fiction universe. Daniel and Jorge, fix your science fiction novel. New <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We hope you found that interesting and um, not uh, didn't get too entangled in your head there. That's right. We hope we didn't entangle your neurons any further than they already were. Or that we gave it unnecessary spin to the topic. <laughs> As usual, Jorge spun it up and I spun it down. Well, thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in.
If you still have a question after listening to all these explanations, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Daniel and Jorge, that's one word, or email us at feedback at danielandjorge.com. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, At these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.